You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. And this week we're joined by Ray Houghton, the Republic of Ireland legend um, from Villa back in the 90s. How are you doing, Ray? Yeah, very well, thanks, Ash. A big signing back in the 90s when you moved to Villa. And you just talk about your career um, and how the move came about. Oh, big one signed you, didn't he? Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll start with life back in Castle Milk, back in, back in Glasgow, back at yeah. home. Um, what was life growing up there? It was a working man's uh, area, Castle Milk. Um, no pubs, <laughs> no oh. pubs in the area. <laughs> um, and lots and lots of uh, fields where you could go and play football. And it didn't matter if you were five or 75, you could get a game. Uh, so you learnt very quickly in 50 aside uh, how to get out of the way of the older players because they would kick you. Uh, unlike today's football, where you, know, you start screaming as you go over, back then, you know, you couldn't show that you had been hurt in a challenge. And the other thing I thought uh, I learned a great deal about it was um, how to get space on a pitch. Because when, when there's so many people in and around you, you've got to find gaps in areas where you can go to get on the ball. Uh, but funny enough, I was talking to an old colleague of mine, Liam Brady, and I was talking about modern you know youngsters compared to when we done training because we, we didn't have coaches you know there was nowhere for us to go uh, and he said it was just the dedication you know going up getting a ball hitting it against the wall you know trying to keep it up with your right foot left foot right foot left foot if you done two left you stopped you done two right you stopped and you had that discipline and that dedication and you would do it for hour after hour after hour because there was nothing else to do you know the tv wasn't very good and um, you know, you didn't have many games to play with. So that, that's what we done as, as youngsters to improve yourself as players, you know, whereas today, you know, there's so much more for the kids, uh, which is great. You know, I've got grandchildren and yeah. I see that firsthand. Um, but I just think, you know, that we as, you know, you went to school, you came back from school, you'd done your homework, you were out, uh, you came back for your dinner, you went back out uh, and then you came back in when it was time to go to go to bed and, and that was your you know, your routine if you like but that's where the, the dedication and the discipline came from so what was, what was home life like I mean what, what, did, you, what did your man do your man was Irish wasn't he what was your man yeah, well, yeah my mum didn't my mum didn't work in Scotland she did when she came to, when we came to England she used to do cleaning work in a, in a pub not far away from where we lived uh, my dad uh, was in and out of work to be honest and that was one of the reasons we came to London I had two older brothers John and Ken, who were, John had just started as a motor mechanic, uh, or he had been at it for about a year and a half, because back then you could leave school at 15. Um, so he was about 17. Ken had just finished secondary school and he was going to become a carpenter, but there was no work in Scotland. And that was the reason why the family left and, and came to London. And my dad came down here and he was fixed machines. So that was his, his job, really. But that was very much on and off. Um, so yeah, as I say, it was it was tough from that point of view, but you know, great growing up. You know, two older brothers that looked after you, and I've got a younger sister, and that was my job to look after her. That's it. Yeah. What, what was the, what was the move to London like? I think he was only ten at the time, but a bit of a culture shock. All the cars <laughs> yeah, and well, my mum and my dad and, and my sister came down first. They came in and stayed with my auntie who lived in Camden Town. Hmm. So my two brothers and I got on the bus. There used to be a coach who went out to Glasgow uh, to to London, uh, Victoria. And um, I think he went about 10 o'clock at night, I want to say, round about that. And all my brother's mates came to wish him farewell, you know, goodbye. <laughs> you know, 
it was like we were leaving and never coming back again, you know, it was only Glasgow, Glasgow to London, if you like. But I'd never been out in Scotland before. You know, I'd never been anywhere else but Scotland. So, yeah, the first time I crossed the border into Carlisle, um, you know, we stopped off. Uh, the bus stopped off to, you know, for a rest, you know, for to go to the restrooms and, and have something to eat. The first time I've ever spoke to an English person, really. Um, and it was a culture shock. You know, coming back on, getting back on the bus, arriving down at uh, London, Victoria the next morning, trying to make your way from there to, to Camden Town, where, you know, the, remember, there's no mobile phones. You know, there's nothing to tell you how to get there. You know, you have to ring up your auntie and, you know, speak to your mum and dad and say, how'd you get there? And then they don't really know because they've only been in London a short time. So it was all new. And when you're 10, nearly 11, it's an adventure. It was an adventure for me. I was sad to leave Glasgow because... You know, I had so many good friends and uh, the school team were in the quarterfinals of the cup and the parents were asking my parents if they could pay for the fare for me to come back to play in the semi-final because I was probably their best, well, I was their best player at the time. I mean, I used to score for fun. I was a centre-forward back then. I used to score fours and fives and sixes in games back back in the day. Um, so it was an adventure. You know, it was something that the family needed to do. Because uh, we were going nowhere. And funny enough, we were the first family to come down here as such. And the amount of my brother's mates that came down over the next five, six years was incredible. Virtually everyone was leaving because of the, because of the you know, work and, and trying to come down to make a life down in, down in London. I mean, how did the West Ham Academy move take off then? How, how did you go about joining them? They spot you in the park. Well, I, was, I, I played for, I played for um, a, a district in London called Islington, Islington Boys. And um, so all the schools in Islington, they picked the best team. So from the age of 11, I played for Islington boys. And part of the deal when you were 11 was uh, they had an affiliation with Arsenal. So you used to go to Arsenal's uh, training. Uh, well, it was actually Arsenal's ground. And they had a big gym at the back. And you would jo join in with the scholars, you know, with the, the young players that they had coming through. So on a Tuesday or a Thursday night, there would be so many going on a Tuesday, so many going on a Thursday. And that was part of the deal. So I was at Arsenal as a kid till I was about 14, I want to say. But I didn't grow. I was very small for my age. I mean, the players who I played with uh, who were in my district team would be Chrissy Ramsey, who represented Brighton in the FA Cup final, and Chrissy Wayne, who played for Arsenal in Leeds. Uh, and we actually had an even better player, a lad called Paul Brandon. Paul was the Arsenal under-17-18 captain. He broke his leg and he broke it again whilst he was home and he never played. And he was probably the you know, the the best player of all of us uh, at that particular time. Um, so from not being big enough, I left, uh, just played with my mates. And then I, I got you about 16, I started to grow a little bit. And the uh, sports teacher at my school had uh, an end, if you like, with QPR. And he got me a trial there for a week, uh, which was awful, really. I mean... You know, we used to play three thirty minutes, and it was like I was like the discarded one. Like, like son, you just play the last thirty minutes. You know what I mean? Everyone else was getting two thirty minutes to show what they can do, and I was getting just one. And it was tough. So I was sixteen, and then you, you know, you think that's it. So I went to work. I went to work at uh, my mate's uh, sister worked for a, a big company called uh, Justerini and Brooks. It was International Distillers and Vintners, yeah. and partly my job was to send. Uh, JB whiskey to America, uh, and I did that for about six months. Absolutely hated it, um, mm. couldn't get on with it at all. 
I mean, it was fairly easy. I mean, it wasn't a tough job to do. Yeah. Uh, you just had to do the bills of lading, make sure the ship had the containers, the right container on it, was going to the right place over in America or, or yeah, South America, wherever, Canada, wherever it was going over there. Um, so it was fairly easy. And then a, a scout called Bruce McClellan, <clears throat> his nickname is Mac, he's seen my mate Dennis Phillips, who Dennis and I played uh, school football together, played district football together. Uh, and he couldn't believe how good Dennis was at 16 and didn't have a club. So he got him a trial at West Ham and Dennis got on. And Matt just said to Dennis, out of, you know, I don't know, desperation or whatever it was, just said, is anyone else like you? You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Is anyone else we're missing out on? And Dennis said, yeah, there's a lad called Ray Houghton. So um, Matt came to my house without ever seeing me kick a ball and signed me up in schoolboy forms for West Ham. So I went down there and I think I was doing it for about eight months, nine months. And then I got a, a, an offer of a one-year deal from John Lyle when I was 17. So I couldn't be a, an apprentice. I had to come in straight in as a pro, although I had to do all the apprentice work. Oh, onto Fulham. A decent, pretty decent Fulham side under Malcolm McDonald, wasn't it? And yeah, I mean, that's, to that's be fair. You yourself. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I was gutted I left West Ham, though, because my last season and, you know, my, it was my third year, if you like. First year, you know, it's all new. Yeah. You know, and you're still growing. You're still filling out a little bit. Uh, and I'd done okay. Second year, it was a bit hit and miss. You know, still wasn't quite right. But my third year, I was on fire. I mean, I scored 19 goals in the reserves. You know, every week I was virtually getting man of the match. I'm thinking, why am I not getting into the first team? You know, and a lot of the older, you know, players like Billy Bonds and David Cross and that, you know, they were saying, oh, you're doing really well, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. And then I had to go in on the, I think it was the last Thursday of, of April or May when you get brought in and they're going to tell you what you're going to do for the following year. So I was the first one in to go and see John Lyle. So there was John Lyle and the two um, coaches, uh, Mick McGivern and Ronnie Boyce, and they're the ones that make the decision on you. So I came in and as I was walking in, all the, there was about 10 of us in the waiting room waiting to go and you know see what was happening. And they... They said, don't take all the money. You know, I so said, I'm going in there. I'm going to ask for X, Y, and Z. You know, I'm going to ask for a gold bonus. I'm going to ask for this. And when I went there and sat down, the first words from John Lyle was, we think you're a good player, but we're going to let you go. Well, after that, you may as well have been speaking a you know, different language to me because nothing was computing. It was just like, I was, I was going, in my head, I'm going, what? What? Wow. What? I can't, couldn't believe it. came out afterwards. And then and as I walked out, all the lads went, oh, great. And I went, I've, I've been released. And they went, what? If you've been released, what's the point of us going in? Because you've been the standout player. And then I had to go into, into get, um, you used to call it a pink form. So when you were getting released from the club, you get a pink form from your PFA rep. And then that would be sent around to all the different clubs to let everyone know that you're being released. And David Cross was my um, you know, PFA rep. So I... He would come in and he was a funny lad. And he'd go, right, all you lot, how many of you need, P, you know, the pink form? So, you know, lads are putting their hands up. And I said, yeah, can I have one, David? And he, he went to me, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Right, this is serious, he said. These lads, it's their careers on the lines, blah, blah, blah. Don't don't mess around. I said, no, 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 I need one. He, he said, what are you talking about? I said, I got released yesterday. And he said, no, nah, no chance. And I think three or four of the players went to see John Lyle and said, look, I think you're making a mistake letting them go. And John had Alan Dickens coming through and one or two others. Um, so I think he thought he was enough there and decided to let me go. But that's 
a massive letdown. You know, when that happens to you as a youngster, nothing prepares you for it. You know, you think you've done everything right, you've trained well, you've played well, uh, and for some unknown reason, the manager doesn't fancy you. And, you know, for a lot of players, that's your career over. It actually made me really determined to do even better. Uh, and then, you know, the, the panic of, does anyone like you? Does anyone, you know, fancy you bringing to them to your club, uh, to their club? Uh, and then I had about four offers. I uh, had um, Reading came in, Melwell came in, tentative about Luton. Yeah, I didn't hear anything from, from David Pleat, who was in charge. And then Malcolm McDonald came in. Uh, so I went to meet Malcolm at the cottage and delighted to say. He had a decent side as well, didn't he? And yeah. That's where you established yourself there three years ago. Well, my, my first season, we should have got promoted. Mm. I mean, we were by far the, you know, one of the best three teams in the, in the league. Um, and Leicester pipped us. Leicester come with an unbelievable, well, a, a good run. We we were awful. We had a chairman called Ernie Clay, and Ernie wanted to do it on the cheap. Mm. And he didn't buy a player. I mean, that came as a free transfer. And there was just a load of kids coming through. So we had like Paul Parker, Jeff Hopkins, Cliffy Carr, uh, Peter Scott. There was a load, load of youngsters, Dean Coney, coming through who didn't cost them anything. And they're all in, you know, getting to the first team or, or close to the first team. So he thought he would have enough there. And the last game of the season, we played Derby away, where we needed to win to give ourselves a chance. And we ended up losing it. Derby needed to get something to stay up. Uh, and that is, without a doubt, uh, the toughest game I've played in for... Uh, atmosphere where uh, the Derby fans were, <laughs> were crackers. I mean, the pitch was 60 by 40 in the end because they were all coming on. You couldn't even see the, the touch lines or you couldn't see if the ball was going out or not because they were all on the sidelines. Yeah, the and baseball the referee, ground. Yeah, the old baseball ground and the referee, um, he actually, he, he bottled it. He didn't know what to do, to be honest, because <laughs> Malcolm McDonald was saying, look, how can you play? We had a corner and one of their players came on and tackled one of our players. One of their fans came on and tackled one of our boys and after the game, you were we ran off and they ripped all our shirts to sh shreds and everything. It was, it just wouldn't have happened. And, and this is one of the great things about football today. It wouldn't have happened. You know, the police would have had you off, and yeah. you know, the ground probably would have been empty. You know, the Derby fans wouldn't have been able to get away with what they did. You know what I mean? The big move to Liverpool with Dalglish, two FA Cups, a Charity Shield, two titles as well, of course, and five successful years at Liverpool. And then just fast forward into to ninety two. How did the Villa move come about? I mean, well, Chelsea were very keen, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, Graham Soonis became manager. And, you know, my first se yeah, my first full season, he came, you know, just at near the end of one and then we had a full season. And I'd done really well. Um, you know, I was, I think I was player of the year. I got into the top six for the PFA player of the year. Um, I went to see him about an extension to my contract because I only had a year left and, he didn't want to give me the money that the others were on. So, you know, I, I said to him, you know, I've been your best player. You keep telling me I've been your best player, but you're not giving me the money to match it. And yeah. I think his argument was, well, I didn't buy you. You know, it was, it was a silly argument. But anyway, I said, well, I'll, I'll move on then. I'll, I said, I want to get closer to London, which was mm. just an excuse to get away. Um, <laughs> and then the two teams that came in were Chelsea and Aston Villa. Ian Portfield was the manager at Chelsea. Um, yeah. Actually, they offered me a better deal, a longer deal. Um, but I went and spoke to them. Um, didn't really fancy it. I must admit, hand on heart. I didn't really, even though I'd be back in London, it, it didn't feel right. I spoke to Big Ron, and you know what Ron can be like. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He became very engaging. And 
make you feel like you're a million million dollars you know what i mean every day in training so he sold it to me i must admit he really did sell the club to me um i met the chairman he was he was very very good as well doug uh, no i had to ring up chelsea and ken bates and tell him that i was company villa and ken bates said to me uh apart from a few expletives he said i hope you have two nightmares next season that's chelsea home and away and put the phone down on me <laughs> So that was it. <laughs> you, scored, you scored it, Charles, didn't you? I think I did as well, yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have been celebrating because I don't want to rub it in, to be uh, honest. But, yeah, and then I, I got injured in pre-season. Um, it was only a, it was a light, uh, you know, like a slight uh, ankle injury. But yeah. Big Ron was like, you've got to play. I've paid all this money for you and you're da-da-da. <laughs> sort of, you know, pushed me along. I was going to play anyway, but, you know, he was just more determined for me to, to get in. And I just gelled with the lads straight away. They were a great bunch to play with, you know, really good side, great attitude. Um, and, you know, we nearly done it that season, you know. Yeah. But for, you know, probably Blackburn away was the game that, for me, you know, in my head, that's the one that that, that yeah. done it for us. But if we'd have, uh, some, some of the football we played at times was, was a joy, you know. And beating my old club Liverpool twice was, uh, you know, that was rather nice as well at the time because, you know, you feel aggrieved that you you left and, you know, you want to do well and to to win, uh, particularly the Ronnie Rosenthal missing, you yeah. know, going up there and winning. I think Dino scored, didn't he, when we went up the Anfield. Yeah. Um, it was nice. It was nice. It was good good to win. You know, you still want, you still got that mentality that you want to win. And, you know, Aston Villa was my club. Uh, they were paying my wages and I was, you know, duty-bound to do well for them. What was that dressing room like? Big Ron, obviously, big character. Yeah. You'd, you'd stand there, McGrath, Andy Townsend was, was a big. You know, well, Andy came later. Andy, Andy yeah, didn't sorry. come that season. He came the next season, I think, yeah. Andy. But um, yeah, no, we we had Dino. He was funny. You know, Dino's a funny cat. Big Dalian, you know, God rest him, uh, yeah. was, was a character. Um, I mean, Sid was around at the time at the yeah, start. Yeah, of course. You know, Gordon was there. Um, and Gary Parker. So I had, I had Big Paul and, and Stevie Stone and, you know, who obviously yeah. I knew extremely well from Ireland. But then the likes of Gary Parker and, and, and people like that started to, you know, they were fun boys, you know what I mean? So any changing room you go into, you know, it's not going to be exactly the same as where you were previously because of different characters, different, yeah. you know, different personnel. But I, as I say, I got on with them great straight away. You know, they were my kind of lads, you know what I mean? Yeah, they, they they enjoyed training. You know, training was always good. It was always fun. You know, Ron used to, and Jim Barron and that used to put on good sessions for us, uh, and we all enjoyed it. I think you know, and that, and when you're playing well as a team, you know, you're, you're looking forward to every game. Training's easy. Training's yeah. not hard. Training just gets in the way of the match, if you like. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. It's just you're just can we play like that again? You know, and you know when the fans are enjoying that. There's nothing better when you. The fans are appreciating what you're doing and they're enjoying the football and they want to come to the games, you know, and they can't wait for the next one. That's the sign of a successful side, you know. Yeah, and you, like you say, you're all close knit, weren't you? Well, what was the social meetups like? You go for a drink in the week? Well, or... I'll tell you this story. I don't know if I should or not, but I'll tell you anyway. Go on, so no, no, just, I think it was just before the season start, was about to start. I think we went into uh, our, our usual haunt uh, and had a, had a drink. So there was a few of the lads, there was about six or seven of the lads in there. And uh, they had, you know, having a pint. We weren't playing the next Saturday, so we weren't doing anything wrong. So it was yeah. Sunday night, we were in there and having a drink. And um, 
I had a pint of lager and then I didn't really like it. So I thought I'll have a, have a Bacardi and Coke, you know what I mean? Just because I didn't want any more beer. So I had a Bacardi and Coke. And the chairman came in. So Doug comes in. So there's all the boys standing there with pints. And there's me, with, it looks like I've got a Coke. And he turns around and he says, see, <laughs> see you lot, look. See how professional he is, look, coming in from Liverpool. All you lot on the pints, and there he is on a Coca-Cola. Well, the lads are laughing their head off, and I'm going, yes, Mr Chairman, you're absolutely right. Uh, that's the way it should be done. But that sort of set the tone, you know. The, the, uh, the, they were all, as I say, great lads. Yorkie, um, mm. Bozzy, um, Spinksy, you know, Kev, Kev Richardson, was a great captain. You know, I couldn't speak highly enough of them. You know, they were really good lads, and they were determined to have a bit of success, and... You know, we had we gave it a real good goal. I mean, that was a big regret, you know, not winning it that season, you know, for the football that we played, you know what I mean? You scored against Man City 3-0, Villa flying, one point off United with three games to go, and just, that Blackburn game, like you say, I mean, just, just deflation, lost the last three, didn't know what, what was the mood like then? I was big run. And, oh, no, big run, big run went nuts when we lost to Oldham. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, not necessarily after the game, but we came. He, he, he made us come in training the next day, um, mm. and he ran the legs off us. Did he? Yeah, we're on the training pitch, and a few of the lads wanted to have a you know a little chirp about what was going on. But I sort of said, "Look, you know, just take it on the chin, lads. Mm. It is what it is. He's he's upset. He doesn't know. You know, doesn't want to have a go. Is you know what I mean? Because he knows how much you know that we're, we're put in." So a wee bit of running is not going to not, not going to be too too harsh for us. No. But then the running got more and more severe, and I'm thinking this is not quite right. Um, <laughs> and uh, but it, listen, it was what it was. Ron was brilliant. He was brilliant for me. He was brilliant for the lads. You know, he had a fantastic sense of humour. Um, he, he made you feel like you could win any game, um, and he didn't like losing. And you know, show me someone who likes losing, and I'll show you your loser. <laughs> I didn't come from a background, you know, as you say. I've, I think I played in seven semi-finals in ten years for four different clubs. I didn't like losing. I didn't want to be associated with losers. You know, to me, come second, you've come nowhere. You need to win it. You know, I wanted winners around. I want people who had that attitude, and I think that was what Ron wanted as well. So, you know, from my point of view, that was the sort of manager I wanted. Yeah, and obviously a year later, it was the the League Cup success. Obviously, unused sub. I mean, you know, you scored at Tottenham in the quarters. Um, well, I played in every game. Yeah, that was annoying. Time. I no. played in every game up to the final, and then he changed his mind and changed the team. I was fuming. I must admit, okay. you know, I mean, I'm not going to stick there and lie. Um, Gary Parker and I had uh, been sort of bombed out the side on route uh, between the semi-final. I don't think Gary had played, but I certainly had. I can't remember what the team was in the semi-final. Mm. Um, and then um, he changed it around. And he didn't tell me, you know, he just, he just, uh, we went to Bishop Abbey, I think it was, or down to train before the game. And he just done a, like a, a, an 11 sort of thing. And I wasn't in that 11. And that was how I sort of knew I wasn't playing. And it wasn't till we went on a walk the next morning, the morning of the game, I think it was. And he said, um, I'm not playing you. I'm putting you on the bench. And it was as very, as matter of fact, as that. Um, there wasn't a lot of discussion about it. It wasn't me saying, well, I think you're doing the wrong thing or I think I should be playing. Um, that was his decision. He's going to stand by it. And by the way, it worked. You know what I mean? Uh, they, they went, you know, we went and won the game. But um, 
yeah, it was, it was tough though. He played every game and then being left out for the final. Yeah, Graham Fenton coming, wasn't it? And I think he played Dylan. Yeah, yeah. He played on my position. Yeah, where I would have played, Graham played there and done very well. Yeah. You know, he's a yeah. fit lad, strong, strong in the challenge. You know, put himself about, um, and you know, hands up, Ron got it right. You know, I've, I've got no comeback at all. At all. You know, Ron picked a team that he thought was right for him, that we should win on the day, and he got his tactics absolutely. Right, so I've got no complaints at all. Was you able to enjoy the atmosphere after winning? Or it's not the same, is it, when you don't play? Or... No, 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 I didn't know. It... I didn't I didn't know. I didn't feel I was part of that. Yeah. I mean, and listen, I had that when I was uh, at Palace, you know, when we got uh, promoted through the playoff final. Mm. You know, I'd played in the majority of the games. I got left out for the final there. And we, we beat Sheffield United 1-0. You know, you're promoted to the... Premier League, but I didn't feel part of it, you know. Even though I was, I was ca- captain all, all year, if you like, you know what I mean. I was the, the, the that 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 person or the club captain. Um, but you don't feel part of it, you know. You feel like you're on the sidelines. Delighted for the boys, you know. What I mean, because they, I'd seen how hard they've worked, you know. What I mean, and everything that they've done to get to the final, and then go out and beat a very good Man United. A Man United side who'd been playing a lot of the youngsters and you know all the others. In games, and then they got to the semi-final, final, and all of a sudden they started playing out their strongest team, you know, because they wanted to win it. Uh, but on the day, tactically, Ron got it right, and the boys played really well. Couldn't have been happier for them, mm. you know. And you know, I couldn't be happier for Ron, you know, because he got it right. But for personal, just for me personally, it didn't feel that I was part of it. Oh yeah, at the World Cup then as well. He was at the World Cup in '94, the summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It was a big one for you, wasn't it? Obviously, the Italy winner. I mean, I, I, I was thankful because I got myself really fit. Um, yeah. and went to the tournament and everything just worked out for me that way. I played in every game, you know. I came off against Italy, but that was the only time, you know, the other matches, the other two group stages, and then the loss to Holland, I played yeah. in every minute, you know. So I felt fit, felt good, and I was looking forward to coming back and starting a new season with Villa. That's it, and then obviously Ron got the boot, didn't he, in the November, yeah. and um, Brian Little came in, and how was your relationship with Brian? It was the first, I've got to be honest with you, I, I, you know, I, I speak how I find, you know, Brian was a, a club legend, you know, for everything that he'd done. But it was the first time where, as I said to you, we big Ron before, Ron was a winner and he spoke like a winner. Mm. Um, Brian didn't come across that way to me, you know, because I'd been with Douglas and others, you know what I mean? And I'd seen firsthand what people who wanted to win, what they were like. And Brian was very much in the mode of don't upset your teammates don't do this, don't do that. You know, it wasn't me to be honest. You know, if someone does something wrong, you've got to tell them, and yeah. and you tell them not in a way that you know that puts them down. You tell them in a way that helps them. You know that happened. What you got to try and do is do this to, to make sure it doesn't happen again. If you don't tell them, they'll keep making the same mistakes. So I found it very strange uh when brian was saying oh no don't 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 shout at each other i don't like it and for me yeah it was never going to work with brian and either way was yeah because i'd come from a different background i'd come from a different time and maybe maybe he was the new you know he'd he'd seen what where football was going you know and how uh, um how how it was going to go in, in future years as well um because you don't see that as often now. You don't see players, you know, telling each other off or, you know, cajoling or, you know, everything's high fives and, you know, fist bumps every yeah. two minutes, uh, which, you know, is 
I, I just don't get, you know, I, you know, fist pump, yeah, if you've scored a goal or if you've, you know, made a great block or something, but if you've done something wrong, you know, you don't fist pump each other, you you try and help each other, you try and tell, say, look, this is what you should be doing. And that's, I'll still maintain that's the better way to go about it. Yeah, obviously, he, he was building a younger side, wasn't he? A younger team came in and he was doing his own stuff, Brian, and then yeah. Yeah, Palace came about, didn't he, in 95? Did you know Billy Cree was on his, on his way to an end, did you know? Yeah, well, I knew with Brian in charge, as I say, the mix wasn't there, you know, there wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't feeding off him, he wasn't feeding off me like Ron and I would be, you know, I mean, you can sense when a manager likes you or when things are going well, you know, they, they, you, there's a definite feeling about it. With Brian, I didn't get that, you know, Greg's was good, John Gregory, I like John, you know, I got on well with John, um, but I just felt that dynamic with the boys in charge. There was no like oomph. That's how I felt about it. There was no oomph about it. And as I say, maybe I was just an old, old player coming to the end, and they were the new, you know, the new breed, and knew how you talk to the younger generation. Um, but it was just a different time, you know. It was just a changeover, if you like. And I knew it was going to be time for me to move on. Went down to Palace. Um, there was no encouragement from. Uh, Brian for me to stay if, if anything I think it was he was more encouraging for me to go you know I think he was more into, yeah it might be best all round if you go um, and you know you, you get that feeling and you don't want I don't want to be at a club where I'm not wanted you know that, that's for sure but I was I was gutted because you know great lads fans were brilliant I, I really enjoyed my time there wish I'd went there when I was a little bit younger you know that's all yeah. uh, you know you're at the later stages of your career you know maybe you're not quite what you once were sort of thing but uh, I think my first year I was I'd done well second year not so bad and third year you know different manager different things it doesn't quite go your way you know yeah well, what was the experience of Villa Park the, the old whole tenders oh, well? what, was it, what was that like yeah I loved it I mean listen there's iconic stadiums isn't there you know and ones that you you like coming to play in and um, I would say every Villa player should enjoy coming out at Villa Park and you know when the whole end was in full cry when things were going well it was a great scene you know they they love their football and even now I go back to games and I walk to the you know I walk from the train station to the uh, you know to the ground and you know and I just listen to the fans talking and the passion's still there you know the love of the club's still there that will never change you know and who who they think should be in the team? Who's playing well? Well, he's not been quite at it. You know, I don't know what's what's wrong with him. You know, it's just brilliant. That's that's what football's about to me. You know, it's about you know fans having their their favourites and you know coming to watch their team. And even when things don't go well, you support your team because it's your team. That's your team. They represent you. They represent your area. And that's how I see it when I watch football. What are some of the funniest moments, Ray? You had a big dressing room, like you said, big characters. You mentioned about the, the Coke stuff as well. I mean, what was the chairman like, Doug Ellis? I've had loads of stories of Doug. D- Doug kept himself, himself as much as, you know, Doug could, you know, yeah. as far as... It was a bit different because Ron run it. Yeah. Uh, he run, you know, the way it was going. Um, so there wasn't much room for Doug. I think Doug would love to have been part of that because I think he liked being around the players. You know, he liked to, you know, he'd like to mingle with them, talk to them, see how their families were, you know. He'd always try to give you advice, you know, about anything and everything, if you know what I mean. Whereas he couldn't, because he couldn't get down to the training ground often enough, because 
you know, big Ron was was in charge. But Ron was, as I say, was great. A, a few running, we um, you know, on the pitch. I remember one game where I was I was having a nightmare. It didn't matter what I was doing, it was going wrong. And all I could hear from the bench was, Riser, Riser. And it was Ron shouting at me. And in the end, I told him he'd go and do one. Um, but in probably stronger terms than that, which I couldn't yeah. put out on this podcast. Um, and after the game, he didn't say nothing to me because I've, like anything, I just, you know, you forget about it. You know, you say, he said something, I said something. Mm-hmm. You know, and to me, that's it, it's gone. And I came in Monday morning and one of the young apprentices said the gaffer wants to see it. And still, I couldn't remember what it was about. And he was in his, uh, in his manager's office with a mug of tea and a sandwich and he was in his dressing gown. And I came in and he pulled me over the table <laughs> and he went, don't you ever talk to me like that again. And then it all came flooding back. And I said, oh, I said, look, first of all, Ron, I apologise. I shouldn't have said what I said. I said, but can I just say something in my defence? He says, what's that? I said, look, I'm having a nightmare. 40,000 of my home supporters are telling me I'm having a nightmare. I said, do you think you shouting at me is going to make me play any better? And he went, fair point, fair point. He says, but don't ever call me them names again. I said, all right, then, off you pop. And I went out. So that was Ron, you know, that would be what he was like. He was was fair, you know, um, he he didn't make a big deal of it after the game in front of the lads. He made it private between me and him, how it should be, you know, because it was him and I had the little spat. But you handled it in such a grown-up way and in a funny way, which would be typical of Big Ron, you know what I mean? I could get you now in his dressing gown, if not, you said. Yeah, uh, oh, we'd have, you know, like before the season started, we would have a dinner party or, you know, a garden party, should I say, at his, you yeah. know, and there'd be the, the champagne bottles out with the Ron Atkinson, like, label on it, you know. And, um, I remember one occasion, there was a few of the lads that were chatting to Big Ron, and I think Sean Teal wanted to get involved in the chat, and as he went to walk over... Uh, Ron said to him, not now, Sean. He says, I'm, I'm off the back tees with the big hitters. And Tilly walked away and said he walked in front and said, shut up, you know, I'm coming over. Tilly just walked away, which is one of the funniest things I've seen. Uh, but we just one of Ron's great one-liners, you know what I mean? He, he just had, he had a line for anything and everything at the right time. I just loved him. I thought he was a great manager and, you know, he's uh, he just so funny. What about the dressing room pranks, Ryan? Dino was a character, wasn't he? He loved to play up and dial in. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a few. I mean, then when Andy came in, Toner was the joker as well. Toner was a joker. He was was great for all that. And you need that. You can't have 30 lads all the same. You know what I mean? Uh, And then you would have Daly, he would always have his stories, all the stuff that he's been up to. You know what I mean? Because uh, he was a young, unmarried lad, you know what I mean? He would have plenty <laughs> of stories, what he's, he's been doing and that. So, you know, you'll always be entertained, you know. And then we had a great physio, Jim Walker. Jim was a, was unbelievable for us. You know, he looked after all of us and made sure that everyone, you know, uh, was, was fit and healthy and, and, and in the best, you know, form that they could be. Um, so I loved that. We used to have, we used to have great uh, 2v2s, you know, in the gym, little uh, head tennis. One v ones, um, so little things like that. They, they and table tennis, bit of table tennis thing, um, which I love table tennis. You know what mm. I mean? Uh, but um, there was one or two others who I think were county standard. Um, right. So yeah, so you come in there and they would be doing all the spins and all that, and you, you know you're getting your bat on. And next minute it would be going either end of the the room because uh, you couldn't control it. Uh, but it was great. We used to do that in the morning before training, you know, you'd get you active, got you lively, um, got you chatting, you know. So, yeah, you know, great memories. And you know, listen, you're talking about 
93, you know, so you're talking a long time ago, but I can still remember it, you know, vividly, uh, everything that we got up to. Or even, I think we played Tottenham one night and down at White Hart Lane and things weren't going well and Ron decided to have a karaoke a couple of nights before the game. Um, Brilliant. And I, went, I got up for I can't sing. I know it. I am useless. But no one else wanted to do it. So I got up and sung Delilah. Um, mm. And a few of the other boys got up and sang. And we went out and we beat Spurs in the, the League Cup a couple of nights later, I think it was. I, th- I think I scored and, uh, and El Barrett scored. Little things like that. You know, Ron knew we were on a bit of a, a low. We needed picking up. And his way was like, let's have a little karaoke, you know. Let's get it going. And, well... Ron sung about 25 songs and we sung about three. <laughs> Paul McGuire, we don't, we don't hear from him about him. That's what you know oh, him yeah. the most. I mean, what was he like? He was unbelievable. I mean, how good could he have been if he could have, if he could have trained? Mm. You know, he, I mean, we would probably on a Friday morning, we'd go out and do set pieces, you know, for and against. Yeah. And Paul would come out with his trainers on, you know, and and walk through them, you know, Ron would say, right, we're going to walk through the corners and the free kicks because Big Paul couldn't run. And then he'd go out on the Saturday and man of the match, Paul McGrath, you know, so um, he was a phenomenon, um, a one-off because in the reality is, I mean, his career should have been over when he was fairly young um, mm. with the injuries that he had, but such was his mentality, you know, that he wanted to keep playing. And I think the manager at Derby at the time said, if I had a million pound, he said, I'd rather buy Paul McGrath a new pair of legs than bring in a player, he no, said, because he's that good. He said, um, he's just a phenomenon. And for Ireland, he was an absolute legend. You know, you could play Paul, centre-back, right-back, centre-midfield. It wouldn't matter. You know, he just knew the positioning where he should be. He was an aggressive player. Um, I think Ronnie Whelan told a great story when he said, um, I think... They played Man United, and I think Rushy scored for the first time against Man United. And he says, where's that Paul McGrath? He never scored against Paul uh-huh. for Man United. And yeah. Rory said, he's been Aston Villa for the last three years. He's like, oh, he said, I wanted to give it to him. And he said, all this time I've been waiting to score against him. He says, and I've never scored. And here I've scored, and he's not even here. So That's it true. just shows you, even someone like Rushy uh, yeah. knew how good he was, you know, as a, as a player. Um He's just technically good at everything. Headed it well, you know, could play out from the back, the little flicks he used to do. But it was his timing. His timing was impeccable. If you looked at, you know, clearances, challenges, you know, going into make tackles, everything was just on the money, you know. And um, he, quite rightly, is a a legend. Wherever he's been, man, you, you know, Aston Villa and Amway Island. And a bloke as well. One of the best, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, two... Two types, though. When he had a drink, he was a different person, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, when he hadn't, he was the most amiable fella you'll ever come across, the most polite fella you'll ever come across, you know. Butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He was that, uh, uh-huh. he was that good. No, he was absolutely incredible. He was a lovely fella. Um, but, you know, we all know what happens when you know, you, some, you, you drink too much or whatever, you know, it can affect you. But um, I can't speak highly enough of him, you know. I've... I was there when he uh, won the Player of the Year. I went down. I think it was, uh, it was certainly pa- Paul, eh, Gary Parker, myself, and him. I can't remember if Rickle came up, Steve Staunton, when he went down. And it was all the ones uh, who'd won the Player of the Year and been invited along. Uh, yeah. And we went down to support him. 
um, and all the others had won it before him uh, were there as well. And to be in that elite group, and that is what it is, it's an elite group when you become the PFA Player of the Year. You've been the best player as voted by your peers, you know, and you don't get much higher than that, uh, with all due respect. Um, and, you know, to be there with him when he was down there for that was, uh, was, a, was a lovely evening as well. Yeah, fabulous memories, right? What do you make of the current Villa Cup then? Been delighted for Dean, you know, delighted mm. the way that it's gone. You know, when you think we're one game away from relegation, you know, yep. that's pressure. And then to come out the following season and to do what they did is remarkable. You know, a great turnaround. Every time I watched them, you know, they always looked a well-drilled team, good, well-organised. Everyone knows their job. Um, you know, there's you've got your star man in Jack. Um, he plays, they're a different team, there's no doubt. But I think, you know, like we McGain and the others that are in the side, you know, you can sense that there's a real camaraderie, you know, there's a real great team ethic, you know, they all work hard for each other. You know, that I wouldn't imagine yet he has too many problems on the training ground. They all look like they want to you know, be successful, all want to work hard. Funny enough, I was looking to see, you know, who he's bringing in and I didn't see any big names, which I was a little bit surprised at. I mm. thought he might just try and, you know, bring in one or two because every year you want to improve on what you had the year before. Yeah. And I just thought there might be one or two big names coming in just to move the club forward a little bit more and make them even more of a prospect for the upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, Spencer, uh, club record on Emmy Buendia, Norwich. Uh, yeah, yeah, from New, from Norwich, yeah. Well, what do you make of Jack's situation? He's a Villa man through and through. You know, he's been yeah. there as a boy, isn't he? You know, I mean, it's his club. And you, you're loath to move on. But, you know, at what stage do you think you want to test yourself a little bit higher? And that's nothing against Villa. It's just that they're not in the top four, you know, and... Mm. The clubs that are looking at him are, you know, and as a player, you're always looking to play at the very highest, play at the very best. And, you know, when you finish your career, you can have as much money as you want, but you want the memories. Yeah. You want the cup finals. You know, you want the league titles. You know, you want, well, he's got it with England at the minute. You know, he's going to be involved in the semi-finals of the European yeah. Championships. But... I tasted that. We'll want him to, you know, you'll probably want to spur him on to do more. So be interesting to see what happens uh, and what he does next. But if they were to lose him, it would be huge because he's been in the talisman for the last two, three seasons. He's actually grown as a, as a player, in my opinion. I think three years ago, he was still someone who I looked at and, you know, he was a prospect. He had ability, um, but he didn't, he didn't do it often enough. He didn't take charge of games often enough. But you couldn't say that in the last two, three seasons. He's been absolutely fabulous. You know, he's got to another level. He's got to another level as a, as a as a human being as well on the pitch. You know, like he's, he's taking his game to an, a, another level, um, and that's why there's so many court people courting him at the minute. You know, who want to take him on. Yeah, coming into his prime. Well, then, right, we'll end up there, mate. Um, really appreciate your time. Fantastic memories there from Castlemilk to to the stories of Big Run. Hilarious, mate, and. It's been brilliant to catch up, so can't thank you enough for your time, Ray, and um, we'll catch up soon, mate. Is that all right? Okay, Ashley, all the very best, and just to all the Villa fans, um, thanks for the memories. Absolutely three wonderful years at the club, and it's only when you finish and you, and you look back and you reflect and uh, you just realise how lucky and fortunate you were playing for a, a massive club like Ashley Villa, and just to Dean and all the boys, all the supporters, keep getting behind the squad and enjoy next season. Let's hope it's even better than it was last season. 
Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. Up the villa.